There. Is that on? Yes, sir. on? Um, that I'm going to put up and talk with you about a little bit this morning. Uh, we're not having a children's service because we have a special imported children's minister here to sit with them and be with them, and that's very special. Everybody spoke to him, but we're so glad to have you. <clears throat> we're trying to get this in the King James Version, and uh, there's a reason for that. The King James Version of the Bible is not necessarily any better than any other version of the Bible. Anything you can get in the Bible and get into yourself is great. <laughs> but I like this because of certain things that I want to tell you about it. Um, some of you still read the King James, and there's a reason for covering that every once in a while. But you are a chosen generation. What I wanted to show you is the the part that makes it King James is their exactness in English that they had then that we don't use now. The word ye, rarely do you say that. <laughs> you don't talk about ye did this and you did this and so on. So we use you for everything. But ye is plural for you. So when it says, but ye are the chosen generation, if I say now, Ye are the chosen generation. I'm talking to everybody in the room. But if I say, you are the chosen generation, I'm just talking to Sandy. The rest of you, I don't know what you are. <laughs> so it, it, it really is a, it's kind of a help to learn these little things. There are a lot of words, though, in the King James that aren't used today and are used differently today. In fact... Over the history of time, language continues to weaken and get sloppier and get less exact. There's a reason for that. We have an enemy. So, we're the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That fits. In the newer versions, they don't use some of these words. They don't use peculiar people. But peculiar, we are peculiar people. Now, actually, that means set aside special people. That's the way God thinks of us. It's not necessarily the way we think of ourselves. We don't think of ourselves so much as chosen when you talk about a chosen people, who do you think? Usually think of Israel and the, the um, Hebrews. This isn't a substitute for that, but that's involved in it. I mean, there are theories on this kind of a thing that are, are, have a lot of substantial background. For instance, uh, the way these scriptures read you could exchange Israel for the church. It's called a replacement theory, but you don't have to know the theological part. It's just that there's truth in that, but it doesn't take away from the other. It doesn't mean the other isn't true. It doesn't mean that, that the Hebrew nation and Hebrew people are not still a chosen nation. It simply means they're not 
this chosen nation, this chosen people, you are a chosen people in a different way. You're saved. That makes a lot of difference. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're, you're changed in what God wants you to be, not what you want to be or what the world wants you to be or anything else. It has nothing to do with it. You've surrendered your identity to a new identity. So you, there is a replacement there. You're a new identity, which is a priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. Um, I, we were talking, I don't know who I was talking about, but there are peculiar, oh, I was talking with Don about how we get these peculiar things. Um, I have always felt uncomfortable getting up before you. When I preach, I'm nervous about that. Don't like to stand up here. I've never felt like it was good. All 13 years that I was pastor, every Sunday morning, was it didn't make me uncomfortable. I got used to it. I know how to act the part. But it's still hard for me. But we have people that make announcements. They love to be in front of you. And it's a show. I mean, they're getting something out of it. Unfortunately, Norm is not like that. He, he comes up here because it's his job to do it. Like, I, I take it as a job, my task to teach. And Norm doesn't necessarily like to get up here, but he'll do it because it's necessary. But we, we have the whole peculiar group here. So I don't know which is more peculiar. But a peculiar people... It, it's what that really is doing is setting us aside as part of the holy nation. You are the new Jerusalem, the new Israel. You are the people of God. You are his chosen. You are the, the, the strength of what he has on the earth. You're the crowd that's living forever, eternal life. All the rest of us, when we speak in the world, we're in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. And it, when, when it's a whole different thinking that our, our, we can go through. The whole point of this lesson is to think differently, to think of yourself differently. It's rather humbling to say, well... God came into my life. He made me a new person. He forgave all my sins, changed my nature. Now I'm perfect. I'm a royal priesthood. I don't have any more sin against my life. I've got a home in heaven. My ticket's paid for. It was bought with blood. Well, now, we do okay as we stay within the crowd. I've tried to teach this over the years. Don't sin outside among the sinners. They really condemn you for that. If you're going to sin, sin with this group. If you have to do something wrong, do it here. We can forgive 
and love you just the same as if it had never happened. That's where we get to. That's our, our point. That's why we're so peculiar. But if you go sin out there, it doesn't matter what you do. They can criticize, and they will, and they join in with the accuser of the brethren and make life pretty bad, pretty difficult. That's why I never opposed the legalistic things that we impose upon one another, and I never was opposing the unlegalistic things or the non-legalistic way that we've done. That's why, as a fellowship, we've had parties that normally a church may not have, and they're fun, and they're good, and we have a good time, and anything is okay, but we're careful. We, we know who we're living in and with, and it makes a difference. But we might overeat. That's the lust of the flesh. We may get hilarious and think things are just ridiculous and John Wesley condemned extraordinary humor. I don't know how to put it. Uh, he, yeah, he called it levity. And he didn't want children to, to be involved in a lot of levity. In other words, he didn't want them getting too happy. <laughs> and we do. We have been at meetings where everybody's just laughing, rolling around our parties together. And it, it is a levity. It is, there's foolishness, but not unholiness. Not something that's, that you would be condemned by in the group. Because it's a holy nation. It's a holy people together. And so we... We do things sometimes have a little difference. But that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We couldn't do that. We can't go from darkness to light in ourselves. He changes it. Remember last week, Frank had a, had a clear thing, and I put the little flashlight up there, and the flashlight showed the, the clear or it would show the colors. Uh, the light is there. There is a light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's the light, the spark that God touches. God keeps his reins on every person that's ever been created. And some of them that hadn't made it into the world. But they're, they're created and they're here. And there's a point of light that touches them. God wants his people, every one of them. He loves every person just the same. Just because we're in the holy nation and are chosen people doesn't mean that God loves us more. It means he loves us just as much as he does the filthiest, dirtiest part of our life before we knew Jesus. He loves us just as much. He loved us just as much before we came to him as he does afterwards. 
And then there's something else that's a contradiction to that. He also hated us because of our sin. And we were condemned to hell. And we were eternally lost. And that we were rejected. And then we meet him. We know him. Because we respond to him. Not because we have come to him so much. Is that he called us out of darkness. He first came to us. Took that little speck of light that he had. And connected. And when he connected we can respond. And when we respond. We're his. We're inescapably his. That's when he loves us. Then, then we begin to realize the love. We know he's crazy about us. We know that he has a, a deep desire to be with us every minute of every day. That he enjoys us more than anything else. The next scripture verse, we have four verses. We can put them one at a time or all together or whatever. This is just a continuation, which in time past were not a people, but are now a people of God. He's talking about two things. One, that he was talking about Gentiles, or, but he's also talking about just lost people. Before we know Christ, for instance, if all of us were Hebrews, we'd still be a lost people. A lost people, not a people. We would not be existent in his, in his understanding. But now we're the people of God. So if we accept Jesus Christ, we're now the people of God. How can it be so narrow? Well, it isn't narrow. God never gives up on the people. That's the amazing thing that, that in the scripture it shows that he would deal with a nation for 400 years... <laughs> You know, and if they didn't respond, finally when they were all, all of them, every person in that nation was committed to, to evil or to sin or to lostness, then he'd just wipe out, he would allow the nation to be wiped out. But never before then. For years and years, he deals with us. I don't know what the cutoff points are. Doesn't matter. We've obtained mercy. Never cry for justice. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing in the world. I, I don't. That shows the difference in the world, and you as the chosen nation, as the holy nation. In the holy nation, we don't want justice. We want mercy. If we got justice, we'd all go to hell. With mercy, we might scrape through. <laughs> I heard someone say, boy, I'd, and this was a person that was having a hard time really accepting this whole thing of Christianity. I was a kid and he was a kid. We were in college, I think. He said, well, I'd be glad to get to heaven if I could just be the grease on the gate. Well, that's a humble way to say it, but that isn't the way it is. You're not just the grease on the gate. You are the chosen people. The presence of, of Jerusalem 
in the new city. You are it. And so this is a big thing. Let's go to that next scripture verse. This is the one where some of the newer uh, versions are kind of neat. Oops. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In, the, in some of the newer versions, in fact, the one under some of these chairs around here, it'll tell you that, that you are an alien in this land. The scripture says alien. Does it say alien? Yeah. You're looking at that. Okay. Alien you understand. And our president is now trying to push us into the, to the uh, uh, integration thing and to pass some big integration thing. You can be rest assured no matter what we do, it's going to be a mess because it's in the world. Everything we do in the world is backwards and wrong. I mean, just, you know what? If you're in sin, you can't help from be a sinner. People condemn sometimes. I've heard Christians condemn somebody for some sin they're doing. They can't help that. That's what they do. Sinners sin. Holy people are in the process of working against the sin. It's not that we don't sin. We still have those fleshly lusts up there. But we get past things. We get to overcome some things. And we have the benefit of one another. I don't want to do some things in front of y'all. It might be my nature. It might be part of my activity sometime. I try not to talk to you like I sometimes talk to my kids or Marianne. I you would just not come back. They don't have any choice, so they just correct me. Believe me, women can really correct a guy when he's pretty stupid, especially if you have a teacher for a wife. So, okay, here's a little on the side thing. If, uh, if you watch this integration thing, I think you'll be watching prophecy in action. You're going to be watching prophecy. How the alien thing goes is how things are going to start developing even with the church. Since you're aliens and since we're talking about the aliens, the 20 million or however many there are in this nation right now, whatever they do with them, they're going to do things in, in, a, in concert or in some kind of a connection to the Christians. If they unjustly accept the, the alien and unjustly take in um, the person who has not come in legally to this country. They're going to do the opposite to the Christian. 
They're going to reject the Christian. They're going to do just the opposite. And so I think what happens to the Christians in America is going to be connected prophetically so that you can read these things. Why? Because the Bible says that he'll show you everything before you get to it. He's trying to show you ahead of time so you can handle it. And so if, if the illegals become legals in a haphazard way, in a non-just uh, way, then the Christians are going to be unjustly treated and they're going to be made the illegals. And you'll see more and more persecution. Well, you're already seeing more persecution among the Christians. Of course, I was um, from the dark ages, but I've, you know, I can't imagine in the school I went to them not allowing us to have prayer in the morning. Somebody had prayer over the PA system every single morning. They prayed for us in Jesus' name. Or sometimes they didn't pray in Jesus' name since I went to a school as half Jewish. And then I transferred, and Marianne went to a school that was probably 90% Jewish in Houston. And the... the di- but we always had those things. It's okay to pray before a football game. We pray our team is going to win and nobody gets hurt. The other team is praying. We pray that our team will win nobody, and nobody gets hurt. And God is... You know, <laughs> it's very difficult. We, we put a number on him a lot of times. And the worst thing is that he lives inside of us. And boy, do we put a number on him. We, I know that he doesn't like to drive with me. <laughs> and I've calmed down a lot. But there's some stupid drivers on the road. And I need to show my, release my feelings about them. And, and try to make that. And I don't do that much. The one that was really good at it was Marianne's dad. He could, he could straighten out everybody on the road if they could only hear him. <laughs> but you wouldn't, want, you wouldn't want to hear that. So abstaining from fleshly lusts, that, those are the fleshly lusts. Usually when you think of fleshly lust, because we've been programmed and, and damaged so much, usually you think of fleshly lust as sex. It's not. I mean, that may be included, but that's no more important than getting mad at the driver. That's a, that's a, that's a kind of a release we have. That's when you watch children... And if they start getting real hyperactive and start acting real uh, hyper, they're doing that for a, for a feeling they get. It does a stimulation to the body. It's a fleshly lust. You have to correct them. 
Little kids that'll start turning around and turning around and, and then they can get dizzy and fall over. Or you can drink a lot, get dizzy and fall over. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of difference. The feelings are similar. And a parent has to correct their child. Let's don't do that. That's not really good for your head. It's not good for you if you fall on the wrong thing. But it's not good for your head to do that. What are you doing? You're taking away some of the habitual habitualisms that a person can get into. And we're born with some propensity for habitualism. We're born with some. But we're also manufacture a lot of them in our lives by the way we grow up. If we eat the wrong things, we develop certain types of habitualisms. Why do we like to drink? Because it's sugar. Or potatoes, it's sugar. Or bread, it's sugar. That's why we like those things. Well, if it goes overboard, it's fleshly lust. It does something. It appeals to our physical nature to the point to where we have to have a control involved there. That's why the, the eighth point of the fruit of the Spirit is, is the self-control. God doesn't want us to have self-control for self's sake. He has self-control for his sake. If he's going to live in there, I mean, you can scare him to death. And so we have... We have limitations actually the fruit of the spirit there's no limits on them you can't be too loving you can't be too self-controlled now there's a way in which that can be misused and like everything a lot of people call love something that gets so indulgent that you spoil people that's not love neither is the aspect of self-control. Everybody has self-control. You have enough. And that that you don't have, you're using as a part of your development, your maturity and your growth. So, there are things that war against our soul. Remember, our spirit is that part of us that knows. Our soul is that part of us that people can feel and see. It's our intelligence and emotions Our spirit is not intelligence nor emotion. Our spirit uses the intelligence and the emotions. And our personality, our soul, uses our body, whatever it's got to use. And so I can show part of my emotion with my hands somehow... You can show your emotions. That's what your body's for, to express your personality. And your personality is to express your soul. Your soul is that part of you that God is transforming. It's the only part that needs forgiven. You get a new spirit in Christ, but the soul goes through a lot of work. The last scripture saying, having your conversation honest among Gentiles. Conversation means behavior. 
That's one of the words in the King James that you have to translate into something. It doesn't mean talking to one another. And right now, it's a buzzword. Conversation is what they use all over the the news. You're going to have a conversation about this. The president's having a conversation about insurance. It's not true, but he doesn't have to tell the truth. He's the president. He can get up and say anything he wants to say. He's got a bully pulpit. But our conversation... Because you're a new people, a holy nation, means your behavior. Your behavior is honest among the unbelievers. Remember, we love one another, so our behavior is honest among each other. But among the unbelievers, it's just a pressure. You're under pressure to kind of behave yourself a little bit better. Don't get quite as wild. Be very self-controlled. Watch your behavior, your language. Here it's okay if you say, hallelujah. Don't do that in H-E-B without being ready to answer for yourself, which the Bible says you can do. You can answer for yourself. So if you say, hallelujah, in, in H-E-B, say, I just had this feeling that came over me to all you people that are around. Remember, there are going to be three rather large women walking down the aisle when you're trying to get through. That always happens. (laughs) And you'll have to explain to them why you're hollering. But you just just had something come over you and you you got kind of worked up over it. And you weren't able to control that fleshly lust of, of a release of hallelujah. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers. More and more, our country is talking about the Christians as doing things that are evil. They associate them with things like the KKK and things like that. Of course, there was a time when the KKK was a very good thing. Then it turned very bad because it was taken over. The world will always take over everything we got if they can. You can't start a good work without the good work being taken over by the devil. Good works are very difficult to manage. And without the body of Christ, they go haywire. And so... We, we have a conversation, we have a behavior that if the Christians are, if the non-Christians are honest and really look at us and really listen to us and really see our heart in it, they'll turn around and glorify God because they'll know the truth. They'll thank the Lord for you. But that's a hard thing to happen. There was a guy in an insurance company, an executive, and he was promoted to a supervisory position and faced a difficult situation. He realized that his employees were being paid less in one department than the other department. It really bothered him. As a Christian, he couldn't figure out why this one department 
was kind of neglected over here and why they were receiving the blunt end of everything. And so he prayed about it. Okay, Lord, I, I know I should speak to him. I know that I could get fired for this. I'm going to present this to the board of the directors. And they could fire me. Uh, or they could react or they could do something else. Board of directors don't always know what's going on in big corporations. So it's a little harder to explain everything. But he explained the whole thing to them. But because he had prayed about it, because his heart was right, because he presented it in the Lord humbly and with fear and trembling, they accepted it and changed the whole thing. That's the way the world looks at that last verse. They're, they don't necessarily see things that are going on. They don't see how things are. But because of your attitude and the way you treat people and the way you do in your everyday life, God will bless that and change things. And he does it according to the light that you have that you walk in. We walk in the light that we have and we're judged according to the light we have. I would imagine having been a Christian longer and been involved in a total all the time religious thing that I have a lot of light. Some of you don't have as much as I have. And therefore, I'm judged more. And I, there are a lot of things that are required. And that, that light is, is a great blessing and a benefit and something that can shine. And also, it's something that shines inward and can convict and cause me to continue to develop and mature in Christ. So... These things work both ways. Your conversation, your behavior is important. But it's only important after you surrendered your life to Christ. The more you surrender, the more important your behavior is. In other words, like last week, I said that the works that you're proud of are your idols. If you're proud of something that you do, it's part of your idol. It's part of your idolatry. So if you're real proud of how sweet you are to everybody, that's, that's one of your idols. If you're real proud of how smart you are, that's one of your idols. If you're proud of how tough you are, that's one of your idols. Idolatry is bad. It's a bad thing to be in your life. And so our idols are what we're escaping from and not worshiping any longer. And we're turning to the Lord. And as we do that, all of these things in our life become enriched. Our life becomes richer. We, we're like 
people that can change, we can meet with the board of directors and change the world around us. Things really happen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that Jesus has forgiven us, has moved into our lives, is taken up residence within us. Um, we're like a vehicle. We've invited you to come and ride with us. Enjoy our ride. But Lord, we're coming to the point to where we'd rather you be the driver and we'll be the passenger and you will take us on this trip through this journey into the next life. We worship you this morning because you are the holy living God. You live in us and amongst us. You've called us to be a holy nation. And we are that, Lord. And we accept our position in your new kingdom. We're grateful to be a part of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.